for 13 weeks. Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. It is indeed a privilege to be able to gather collectively here at Gateway this morning. It's my privilege to welcome you to worship. It's my privilege to also welcome those of you who are joining us from home and a few who are over in the gym. And we are so glad to be able to come together and to worship a risen Savior and a live God. I've just got a few messages or announcements to share with you. Uh, we want to continue to encourage everyone uh, during this season to just be aware of what's happening, particularly with the schedule. What we're doing today is going to be the schedule for several weeks, and as that begins to get into a time that we can change, we'll certainly let you know. Be attuned to your um, emails as well as the Gateway Facebook page. And uh, for the next several weeks, the schedule that we have right now with no Sunday school, worship at 1030, live here in the sanctuary, also live overflow in the gym. And then, of course, we'll continue to do the live feed for those who are at home and continue to feel most comfortable there. We're grateful to be able to be together. We also want to encourage you to continue in relationships and particularly through life groups and small groups. And many of those are still meeting through Zoom and other technology forums, and some of those are already beginning to meet in homes. And so we would just encourage you to go to the Gateway blog, which is gatewaybaptist.com, and then click the link that says events and news, and you'll be able to find a, a, a link there with all of the different life groups, those that are meeting at different times and different places, or if they're meeting online, you'll see how to connect. And we would encourage you to continue to make being in relationship with other believers a high priority. I'd invite you to stand this morning as we read together our call to worship. The call to worship this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's worship him together this morning. Souls. 
Jesus, 
God, as we do each week, we still cry out for your mercy on this nation. We cry out for your mercy on the status of where we are, the unrest, and still the tragedy of COVID and people being sick and praying for healing and tragedy and comfort and loss. There's so many things, God. But we know you are good and you know what's going on. We trust in your providence and your sovereignty. We say, God, move on us. Move on this city. Right now in the city of Montgomery, God, we cry out to you that you would eradicate this virus, that we are still struggling in this city. We're a hotspot. We're a place that the nation is even looking to. And we pray, God, that we would reveal your glory, that you would be honored, that your name would be lifted up as we seek wisdom and guidance during the season. Lord, we pray that you would move on behalf of our city to bring healing and comfort and protection to us. And Lord, continuing for our government leaders nationally, locally, state levels, all across the board, God, we pray for your wisdom and guidance to lead and direct those in governance over us, to help lead and guide with your wisdom for your kingdom's sake, for the benefit of your honor and glory. Speak and move and guide and direct things that needs to happen in our nation for the well-being of us and for your kingdom. And Lord, we lift up McCorkle family for Fran and her family this week for the loss of her brother. Lord, we just pray for comfort and peace. Lord, we, we say it, your word is clear, that peace that passes all understanding, that we truly can understand that you bring, you bring comfort and strength to the McCorkle Provo family during this season of loss and struggle, and that you would comfort them during this time as a family that we can come around them and encourage them and love on them. And Lord, we thank you so much for the ministry of Capitol Heights. We continue to thank you for the food ministry that we're bringing so many families through volunteers and people in this congregation sacrificing their time to minister to these families to bring the provision of food. We pray, God, that as the gospel continues to go forth, God, we want to see a harvest reaped in the name of Jesus. That as families from this church are going in their homes and encountering them, that your gospel will go forth, that you would bring people to a place of repentance and they can experience life in you. And Lord, also for Capitol Heights, in that same area, we thank you, Lord. Capitol Heights Baptist Church. We thank you for the opportunity we could pray for them this morning and to lift up their new pastor, Russell Werner, who God you brought to our city just a few weeks ago, and that he was just uh, put in place over the past couple weeks. And we pray for wisdom for him. We pray for guidance for he and his leadership. We pray for his family with three young kids that, Lord, they would feel welcomed in this city, that you would provide all that they need, that you would give him wisdom and strength and discernment as he's coming in during a very, very difficult season for any church, much less than one in that community and with an older congregation, God, I know they're wanting to do so much in that area. We pray for wisdom for Russell, for he and his wife and the family, and just let them feel your strength, your guidance as you brought them here to our city to minister with us for your kingdom's sake. And Lord, we thank you that we can pray for the nations. We thank you we can look beyond our walls here and um, our own nation, Lord, and we lift up this morning the, the people group, the Quan of Laos. Lord, this tribal people live on the Muon River. They're near Thailand, and uh, Lord, they practice animism, where they worship the spirits and their ancestors and, and nature, but they also have been infiltrated with some Buddhist activity, and Lord, we just know that you are a good God and a big God. You can break through, you can bring wisdom and conviction, and Lord, these are a Thai-speaking people, so we pray for those in Thailand, those missionaries and other Laotian Christians, that you would stir their hearts, God, and convict them and compel them to go to this tribal group. As they're aware of them, they're on the Muon River, that you would allow them to go in and minister your word in time, be able to bring resources, the Bible, the Jesus movement, whatever you desire to do, God, to bring the gospel to the Quan people. And we thank you we can lift them up this morning. 
And Lord, we thank you for your provision, the resources that you give. We are so blessed as a people with all that you provide for us. We thank you for the giving this morning as people leave or as they come. We thank you for those that have given online. You are so good and you are so have blessed us so immensely. And we pray that you give the leadership and us wisdom as we steward that money for the sake of your kingdom and what you desire to do here at Gateway. And lastly, Lord, we thank you so much for our pastor. We thank you for Grady, for his love for us, shepherding us. Just feeding us your word and there to take care of us and tend to our needs. We pray you bless him this morning. I know he is very tired after bringing his, his precious new little boy this past week. We pray you give him strength and energy as he brings your word this morning. And uh, just bless him and fill him afresh with your spirit. Again, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We're so grateful to be in this uh, room this morning. Uh, as you are so good. Have your way. Continue to speak and move among us. In Jesus' name. Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is so good to see so many of your faces back in this room. And for those of you in the gym building watching an overflow, greetings to you. And for those of you worshiping from home, greetings to you all as well. My heart is full of joy this morning that we get to be back on this campus. I felt like a kid in a toy store walking the, the halls this morning, making sure things are ready. There's just such a joy in us being gathered back together as the people of God of Gateway here at this place this morning. And for those of you worshiping from home, we're so glad that you've tuned in as well. Because I don't know about you, but this period of separation from one another during COVID has made me so thankful for the church. There's so many things that I think we take for granted. And the blessing of being able to get together as brothers and sisters in Christ is afresh in my thinking of just a blessing God has given to us. And I pray during this COVID season that God has been sanctifying us, that he has been growing us. You know, we saw in James 1 many weeks ago that we're to count it all joy when we meet trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. The steadfastness had to have a full effect so we could be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And I pray that for you and for me that during this season of trial that we've been in that we are seeing God grow us and sanctify us. And one thing I pray that God is growing us in is the love for the church. That we understand what a blessing it is that we have to be able to gather together and worship the Lord together. Well, I pray this, or this morning I want you to find James chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 2. Last week Preston gave us a great challenge about why the church gathers together. Today I want us to jump back into our study of James. We're in the middle of a section of James that deals with what true faith is. What true faith is. Now we've seen several key things so far in James related to true faith. And I want to remind us to re-engage us of what we've been seeing. Back in chapter 1, verse 22, we already saw the exhortation from James to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And we saw back then that true faith is, leads us to do God's word. Not just to hear it, but we have true faith that leads us to act on the faith that we have. It leads us to act on the word that we have. There's that key phrase in a few verses later in verse number 25 that we are not to be hearers who forget, but doers who act. And so true faith manifests itself as being people who are doers who act to live out the faith that we have in Christ. The next few verses gave us some more insight into what faith is. It gave us kind of a warning on this in a sense to remind us that true faith will change us. Chapter 1, verse 26. Because if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That true faith changes us. If there is no change, then we don't have true faith. But true faith just not only puts off things, it puts on things. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained 
from the world. So true faith changes us. It changes how we view God. It changes how we view sin in our life. It changes how we relate to one another. And then we saw a very strong warning two weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 17. And in chapter 2, verse 17, we said, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so if one side of the coin is that true faith changes us, the other side of the coin is if we're not being changed, then we do not have true faith. And James is going to continue with that idea this morning. In chapter 2, verse 18, which is where we're going to pick up today, he's going to tell us the same idea again, that if we do not have transformation in our life, then we do not have true faith. Now, why is James repeating himself? Why is he saying this over and over? Because what he's telling us is a hard truth to accept. It was a hard truth to accept then, just as it's a hard truth to accept today. Then and now, people wanted what we sometimes call easy believism. People want to be able just to trust in Jesus so they don't go to hell when they die, and then they want to live their lives like they wanted. And James knows the lure of that. James knows the danger of that. And so in his love for the people then, in his love for us, he warns us of that so that we're not, in his words, deceived. And he warns them over and over and over. I mean, think about it when you were a child. If your parents saw danger coming towards you, did they just warn you once? No, they warned you over and over and over, Right? If my kids are out on their bicycle in the cul-de-sac and I see a car coming, I don't sit on the front porch and be like, car, and just wait. If I see a car coming, they're on their bikes, oblivious, I'm out of the front yard, car, 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 like over and over. Like I'm going to keep warning them when I see danger coming their way. Your parents did that for you as well. When you love someone and you see danger coming, you warn them and you will warn them over and over and over if it's a grave danger. And that's what James is doing here today and that's why he's repeating himself. So we come to our text this morning, I want to ask you a question this morning. And the question is this, are you confident that you are a Christian? Are you confident that you are a follower of Jesus? Are you confident that you know God today? And are you confident that when you die, you will be with God forever? If so, friends, my second question for you is, what is the basis of that confidence? What is the basis of your confidence that you are a follower of Christ? Because what so many people then and now base their confidence in, James is going to show us is insufficient for assurance that you really are a child of God. So we read our text this morning, be looking for what is it that so many people are prone to put their confidence in that is really insufficient. So we're coming to James chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? And what a joy it is to see people actually in the room doing this <laughs> as we are reading the Scriptures Together, And so James chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, the words will be on the screen, and I'm also reading out of the English Standard Version. James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Would you pray with me? Father, what a joy it is to be able to study your word together in the same place today. And God, we just give you praise and thanks for this opportunity, whether we're in the sanctuary, the gym, or at home online, that we can gather together this morning and open your powerful word and look at your words to us, your God-inspired, God-breathed words to us that are true. And I pray they'd be transformative in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters this morning. So have your way in our midst, wherever we are located this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. 
So the main idea I want you to see from this text is a warning today. And the warning is strong. And I want to preserve the wording that James uses. So I don't use this word lightly in here. But I want you to see the warning from this text. And this is what I want you to see from this text this morning. Simply this. It is foolish to base our assurance of salvation only on a profession of faith. And this is James' word here. It is foolish to base our assurance of salvation, our confidence that we're going to see God face to face one day. That we'll be with him forever. It's foolish to base our assurance of salvation only on a profession of faith. Because there are many people today, just like there were many people when James wrote this, who thought they were okay with God simply because they had made a profession. By profession, I mean a verbal acknowledgement of their faith, a verbal speaking out of, oh sure, I'm a Christian. Now professions can take different forms, but typically in our culture, we talk about a profession of faith, we equate it with either walking down the aisle and standing before a church going, I'm a Christian now and everyone claps. Or praying a particular prayer, we call it in our culture the sinner's prayer. Or perhaps giving a testimony while being baptized. But the, the warning here for us is to, it is foolish to think that we're a Christian simply because we've done that. Simply because we prayed a prayer or stood before a church body or been baptized to think that somehow we are okay with God. James says that's not sufficient. That is not enough because you can do those things. You can pray a prayer. You can stand before a church and have everyone clap. You can give a testimony in the baptistry and really not have real faith. It is foolish to base our assurance of salvation only on a profession of faith. Now, I want you to see James's flow of thought to see how he shows us this today. Because he's expanding an argument. He's picking up where he left off last. We can do that. He's going to engage a discussion with an objector. Someone who disagrees with him. Someone who doesn't like what he's saying. And what does the person disagree with? Well, go back to verse number 17. This is what the person doesn't like that James has said. He says, So also faith by itself... If it does not have works, it's dead. Now, we unpacked that two weeks ago. But the person who now James brings up in this argument does not like what James has said. They did not like this idea that faith without works is dead. And so they disagree with James. And here's the disagreement that James records for us. Verse number 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So this person responds to James to counter what he said in verse number 17. Now, verse 18 has been a point of frustration for many people over the years because it doesn't seem like it flows right. The objector almost sounds like he's agreeing with James here because James says you have to have faith and works. And then it says, someone says, you have faith and I have works. So is this person now agreeing with James? He has to have works? No, this person is an objector and these pronouns can get confusing to us, the you and the I, but look at what James is doing here. When this was written, you have to remember in the Greek, there were no quotation marks. Quotation marks were added by the translators to try to help us here. In fact, when it was written in the Greek, they didn't have spaces between words. They just wrote one word after another after another, and the translators get the fun job of figuring out where the words stop and the next one starts. And I'm glad that's their job and not mine. And so there was no quotes here. What James is doing is not quoting the objector, but, but paraphrasing, repeating what the objector says. So picture it this way. This one helped me thinking about it. The objector, so James says you have to have faith and works both. And the objector says, and James is saying, but someone, someone the objector says, you have faith, he's pointing to the objector, and I have works. He's just simply paraphrasing from his perspective what the objector is saying here. And the point where this person is objecting here is that faith and works do not have to go together. This person is arguing that everything that James has been saying is not correct, that you do not have to have works to go along with faith. And their argument is very similar to the argument used by people today. It's basically the argument, I'm okay and you're okay. What works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. Hey, we're both Christians. We just approach it in a different way. We've all heard that, and that's nothing new. That's basically what this objector is saying here. But James will not let that argument stand. And the person who says, hey, what works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. 
James gives a very, very firm rebuke here, and he does so in the form of a challenge. Look back at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now, here's James as a rebuke. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The keyword here is the word show. It means to make visible, to demonstrate. That James is basically challenging this objector. He's almost daring them, if you will. He's saying, I dare you. Try to show me you have faith without in any way pointing to any works you have. He's saying it's impossible. It cannot be done. He's saying if you have real faith, it will be obvious. It will be visible. It will demonstrate it in lots of ways. I think about it this way. Imagine you have a friend. You meet a new friend after COVID's over here. And as you're developing the friendship, your new friend keeps telling you, hey, I'm a gourmet cook. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. I've never had a friend who's a gourmet cook. I can't wait to taste what they're going to make for me. And so you have this gourmet cook friend, but every time you're like, hey, let's go get dinner, you're kind of hinting you want to go try their food. They're like, hey, let's go to McDonald's. Now let's go to Arby's. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. That's pretty good. I mean, they, 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 ne- they never will cook for you. And they keep telling you how they're this gourmet cook, and they've got all these awards, and they've got all this cool stuff happening, but never cook for you. You're finally like, listen, I'm tired of you telling me for months you're a gourmet cook. Prove it to me. Cook something for me. You go to their house, and they hand you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a hot dog from the microwave. And all those claims they've made have been pointless because there is no works to back it up. That's kind of what James is saying here in the terms of faith. He's saying, you may say you have faith. You may keep talking the talk here that you have faith, but show it to me. If you have real faith, it will change you. If you have real faith, it will transform you and there will be differences in your life because real faith will lead to visible change. Real faith will lead to works. It will create obvious transformation. And yet when James wrote this then and today as well, there's so many people who are confident that they have real faith when there is no evidence of anything to change it, when there's no way they can demonstrate it or show it. And so James wants to wake them up that it's insufficient to think they're okay with God if there's no transformation in their life. And look at what he tells them here in verse number 19. He's trying to wake them up to the danger of what they're saying. He says, you believe that God is one. Now, apparently this skeptic, this objector, has raised some point to James that was not recorded for us here. And this person said, oh, but wait, James, I believe that God is one. They're repeating some theological truth that they've heard in their life. And what they're saying is true. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is Shema. This is one of the most important of the Jewish beliefs. It was recited twice a day by the Jewish people. This person is saying, okay, James, you're saying that I have to have works. No, no, listen. I believe in orthodox theology. Look, God is one. It'd be the equivalent today of you talking to someone who has no fruit in their life, no transformation. They go, oh, listen, I get John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I believe in all that. I'm okay with God. It's kind of the same thing happening here. Someone is giving this rote theological truth that has not transformed them, and they're making a profession that they're okay because they can say this truth. Now, what they're saying is true, but it's insufficient. They can affirm this, but it's not Changing them. And so to wake them up, James first responds with a bit of sarcasm. This person says, Hey, I believe that God is one. I'm okay. So what does James do in verse 19? He says, You do well. Well, on the surface to us, that looks like he's complimenting them. He's not. This in the Greek is a sarcastic expression. He's mocking the person objecting. He's going, You do well. Right. Sure. Whatever, basically, here. He's telling them this is a hollow truth. You can't just recite some truth you saw on a sign, some words you have heard, and think you are. Okay, And to make sure we understand he's being sarcastic, he carries on in verse 19. He says, even the demons believe. So you think you're okay because you can recite this verse from Deuteronomy? Yeah, even the demons can do that. Friends, have you realized this? That Satan and the demons believe in God? Satan and demons believe in the Trinity. 
The Satan and demons believe that Jesus is God, that he died and he rose again. They believe that God is the eternal judge who will one day judge all of the world. They have seen God. They can affirm right theology, and probably they have better theology than a lot of people who would claim to be Christians today. But that right theology, that right knowledge does not save them. They remain demons. They remain opposed to God. They remain condemned. Though they can give the right answers, they do not love God. Though they can give the right answers, their seeing God has not changed them. Their, their belief, their profession has done them no good. And in fact, it has the opposite effect on them. Look at the last part of verse 19. Even the demons believe, and notice this next word, and they shudder. It's a really strong word in the Greek. The word shudder means uncontainable, uncontrollable, shaking from fear uncontrollable shaking from fear. The demons can give the right theology. They can recite, oh sure, God is one. They can recite John 3.16. They've seen God, but their experience with God doesn't lead them to love God. It leads them to tremble. We sang this song earlier that Jesus makes the darkness tremble. That's what we're looking at right here. The darkness shudders, violent shaking from fear in the presence of the Almighty. The knowledge that the demons have does not save them. Rather, it terrifies them. So James is using that to make a point that merely professing, oh, I believe in God, or merely professing that God is one is not enough to save us. Now, I want to clarify here, friends, it is not bad for us to profess our faith. We should profess our faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, in fact, tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. So the problem here is not with the confession or the profession. The problem is if that's all we have. There's one author I was reading this week who said it this way. He said, it is a good thing to possess accurate theology, but it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology possesses us. It is a good thing for us to possess accurate theology, to be able to recite John 3.16 or be able to say what they said here, that God is one. It's a good thing for us to possess accurate theology, but it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology possesses us. And so profession of knowing the right things, profession of believing the right things is good, but is unsatisfactory if it's not changing us. It is insufficient if that profession of faith has not transformed how we view God, how we view sin, how we treat our family, how we relate to the church. But it's not just unsatisfactory. It's not just insufficient. James has one more word for a so-called faith that does not change us. James also says it's foolish. He says it's foolish to base our assurance of salvation, our standing before God on some profession that has not changed us. And look at his terminology here. This is his wording here, the strong by design. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James says if you are basing your confidence and your standing before God simply on professing the right things, having prayed a prayer, having stood before a church, having been baptized, and is not radically changing your life, he said you're foolish. Now the word here foolish literally means empty. And it can take two different aspects in the Greek. It can mean either intellectual emptiness or moral emptiness. Intellectual or moral. You can be empty of understanding, or you can be empty of moral judgment. And I really think both are appropriate and both are in view here. That if we think we're okay with God because I said some rote prayer because I stood before a church, and that's the only basis of our confidence, then we are empty of understanding we're empty of correct judgment. Because we're thinking wrong about God. We're thinking wrong about ourselves. We're thinking wrong of our standing before Him. And to make sure he understands that why they're so foolish and thinking they're okay... Look at how he finishes verse 20. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is... Okay, now we're together. I can do this again. What's the next word? Yeah, if you're, it's useless. That if you think you're okay with God, and it's not changing how you treat your family, how you view the church, how you tackle sin in your life, if it's not changing your, what you think is faith, he says, is useless. Now, James says something fun here, and this is where, unfortunately, our English doesn't do justice to this. The word that we get useless from here is literally in the Greek, work less. So take the word work and put the word less on it. It's literally work less. That means it doesn't accomplish anything. It means it's not working. So this is what James is trying to say. He's having a fun play on words here for people here. Faith apart from works is workless. Faith apart from works does not work. A faith that does not change us will not work. It will not accomplish what you're hoping for. It will not get you into heaven. It will not give you eternity with God. A faith that lacks works does not work. Faith that lacks works does not work. And he wants to make sure we understand that. So notice how he calls our attention to that in verse 20. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? He's saying, do you want the day to come when you stand before a holy God and you realize that you've been basing your confidence and your relationship with him on the wrong thing all this time? He's saying, if you're basing it on the wrong thing, your status will be no different than that of the demons. You're Right knowledge will not save you. It will have done you no good at that point in the time of judgment. And he wants people to understand that. He loves them so much, he's willing to give them this strong warning to help them see it is foolish to base our assurance of salvation only on a profession of faith. Now, that's a serious warning, and that's one side of the coin. Let me flip the coin and remind us of the corollary truth of that that we can extrapolate from this and that we've seen in other places so far. And that is, we can have assurance of salvation, friends. We can have true faith, because faith is a gift from God, and God in his grace gives us a faith, a true faith, that will radically change us, that will radically transform us. That, friends, we really can have faith that embraces the deep truth of who God is, and then begins to change us from the inside out. We really can have a faith that leads us to make a profession of faith with our words that goes far beyond our words to impact all aspects of our lives. So I want to ask you this morning, before we close, do you have that type of faith? Friends, do you have a type of faith that has led you to make a profession of faith in Christ? That has led you to go far beyond a profession of faith, to repent of your sins, to desire to grow in godliness, to love his word, to love his church, to long to conform all parts of your life to what he has said? Have you experienced God's grace in such a way that you have a type of faith that has done that. Now, for some of you here in the sanctuary, some in the gym, some watching from home, you may never have experienced a real faith that changes you. You may have relied on external things, but you've never had a faith that has revolutionized your life. And if so, your first step is to cry out to God and say, God, I've been basing my confidence on the wrong thing. Would you today in your grace rescue me, save me, put into my heart a type of faith that will cause me to live my life for you? And so I just encourage you, if that's you, if you've been basing your confidence, your assurance on the wrong thing, to cry out to God for mercy and grace and let him change you. Now, some of you perhaps may have believed in Christ, but you've never professed that publicly. Now, while the focus here today is how insufficient a profession of faith is by itself, I do need to remind us that there's nowhere in Scripture that you have belief without a profession. Though profession is insufficient by itself, there's no place for belief without a profession of faith. And scripture calls us, if we believe in God, to profess it publicly. And the way we profess it publicly, this will be a sermon for a whole other day, is through baptism. 
I get a lot of questions from people. Why don't we have an invitation at the end of the service for people to come walk down the aisle? And the reason is because in our culture, friends, we've so confused that being a profession of faith. Of people coming down and clapping and thinking we've done what we're supposed to do. In the New Testament, the only form of profession of faith you see is, is, is baptism. So that's why we do it the way we do here. So there's some of you who believe in God and, and know that God's giving you His grace is changing you, but you've never been baptized. You need to take that step. Because though profession is insufficient by itself, profession is also the first step and it is necessary. But for many of you, and I know you will, you have believed in Christ, you have publicly professed your faith in Christ, and you are seeing God change you. Can I just remind you this morning, that's all of God's grace. And that is to be celebrated and rejoiced in. That God in His infinite love and mercy has put His favor upon you. And has given you faith to believe. And is changing your heart and giving you desires for Him. And, and sanctifying you and growing you in godliness. And so let that fill your heart with gratitude. But also let, let that fill your heart with longing for more. Because God's not done with me yet. He's not done with you yet. He's even using trials like coronavirus to sanctify us and grow us in godliness. And so rejoice in His grace but long for more of it in your life. So, friends, which is it for you today? Are you one who's based your confidence in the wrong thing? Are you one who has believed but never professed? Are you one who is experiencing the grace of God? You've believed and you professed, and you see God changing you, and it's just to encourage you to keep letting him change you. Which one of those are you today, friends? Do you know that you're a follower of Christ? Do you know you have real faith? And what is the basis of your confidence? Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for your mercy that you looked upon undeserving sinners like us. People who can never find our way to you. People who were lost in our sins and had turned our backs on you. And you turned our hearts towards you, Lord. I thank you for such a love you've given to us. Such a grace that has transformed us. And God, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters here and in the gym and online, Lord, that we would treasure your grace even more. That we would realize just the, the, the mercy that you poured out in our lives, and it would lead us to worship you. It would lead us to have hearts of thankfulness, and it would lead us, Lord, to want even more of your grace. So would you move in our hearts, Lord, if there's any who are here on campus or watching from home who have never trusted in you, who they've put their confidence in the wrong things, would you today convict them of that? And your love for them, would you show them before it's too late that their assurance is in the wrong thing so they can put their confidence in their assurance, not in anything they've done, but in your grace that you've given to them. Or if there's any who are here who are watching online who know they believe, but they've never publicly professed that, they've never followed you through the waters of baptism, I pray that you would convict them of that and you stir their hearts to want to tell the world, I am a follower of Christ, and to celebrate your grace. And Lord, for those of us who have experienced your grace and you've led us to believe and you've led us to profess it, Lord, I pray we would not be content where we are now. But God, we would want more of you God, we want more of your grace. We want more of your sanctifying work in our life. Lord, forgive us for our complacency and give us a desire for more and more and more of your grace. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing about this grace of God that he has freely given to us?
notes before we go, a word to those here on campus today. Some of you have been away from community for a long time, and you may need to talk to someone, just have someone pray with you. It may have been a long time since someone in person has prayed with you. So we'll have our elders to be available after the service. Oh, Bill, if you want to slip up to the front up here, and I think I saw Robbie and Jeremy and CJ's in the very back corner back there, if you want to wave back there, CJ. We've got several of our elders around the room. And so you got Robbie, you got William back there by the sound booth. Well, if you'll hang out back there, Robbie's up here, and Bill, he'll make your way to the front, and CJ will be back there. If you just need someone to pray with you, Please reach out. Someone Drew's over in the gym building and can pray with you if you're in the gym building watching from over there. I just want to encourage you, if there's burdens on your heart and you just need someone to pray over you before you leave, our elders are available and would love to do that before you head out today. I want to pray for all of us before we dismiss, friends. God, our hearts are full of thankfulness and joy and gratitude. God, that you have revealed yourself to us where we deserve nothing but condemnation and wrath for offending you and turning our backs on you. God, you have given us mercy and grace upon grace upon grace that we could never have earned, that we never deserved. So God, thank you. It seems so inadequate, but Lord, we want to say thank you for your grace this day. Thank you that we can sing of your grace. Thank you that we can read of your grace. Thank you for your grace that transforms us. Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters here on campus and still worshiping from home. Lord, this week we would experience fresh measures of your grace each day. Fresh discipline from you, fresh encouragement from you, fresh love from you every day, fresh transformation every day. As you conform us more and more, Father God, into the image of your Son. And would you have your way in our lives individually and in our lives collectively as a church body for your glory and for our joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family.